If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to begin in the Song of Solomon and uh, the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. We're only going to look at this verse uh, briefly and then we're going to be focusing primarily today on the book of Proverbs chapter 7. For the benefit of you who may be our guest and not quite understand what's been going on, but this is the fourth and final message today dealing with the, the subject of the Bible is not gray. You may recall a few uh, weeks ago there uh, was released a pornographic movie called Fifty Shades of Grey, and a lot of people went to see that movie, and uh, it just stirred my heart uh, to say that, you know, the message that the world gives to us, the message that Hollywood gives to us is a perverted view and interpretation of one of the greatest, if not the greatest gift that God has given to mankind, and that is the, the sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. And uh, I think that it's well past time for the church to stand up and, and give the true definition of and the truth about uh, sexual purity and uh, the sexual relationship between a husband and, and a wife. And so uh, for these last four Sundays, we've been looking at this subject. I know it's been a difficult subject for some of us to talk about. Uh, we don't usually come to church and hear the word sex. Uh, we kind of frown on it or we're scared of it. It's, it's kind of like the proverbial elephant that's in the room, as I've said to you before. Uh, everybody knows that the elephant is in the room, but nobody wants to acknowledge it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And so they just pretend that the elephant isn't there. And oftentimes we treat the subject of sex the same way. We know that it exists. We know that everybody does it, but we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that it goes on. And so it just, it's time for us to, to say to the world and to especially our church members and especially to our young people and our college students and all of us really, not just, it's not just a, uh, for the, the children or for the, the uh, teenagers or for the college students, it's for all of us. Uh, every one of us got here because mom and dad had sex. And that's the truth of it. And uh, you, you didn't, nobody found you under a rock. The stork didn't bring you. Uh, your mom and dad had a sexual intimate moment when she conceived and gave birth to you. And so it's a God-given gift and a blessing from the Lord that is intended for us to propagate and, and populate the world, but at the same time to enjoy the relationship that a husband and a wife uh, has the privilege of doing. Uh, so today we're talking about the importance of sexual purity. And I wanted to begin in the second chapter of the book of Solomon, the story and book of Song of Solomon is about a man named Solomon, a wisest man who ever lived, and his wife, a woman that he courted and married by the name of Shulamith. And we don't have the time to go back and rehearse a lot of things, but just to point out to you again, in Solomon chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 7, notice in verse 7, uh, it says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds or the does of the field. Gazelles and does or gazelles and deer are very strong animals, beautiful animals, graceful animals. Uh, and uh, they are easily spooked. They're easily uh, uh, chased away if you don't know how to gently approach them. And so uh, she's a, this is Shulamith and Solomon. Uh, enticing us and encouraging us to be careful when it comes to the desire to fulfill sexual needs. So verse 7 in the latter part says that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. 
And what this verse has to do with, of course, is talking about the sexual urge to express and fulfill your sexual desires. And what is being said here is that you need to realize that it's like dynamite. It can be a very dangerous thing. It's beautiful. It's graceful. But you need to make sure that at the right time, the right place with the right person and according to God's timing, that you reserve that sexual pleasure and gift from God until you meet the appropriate person and can express it in the bonds of matrimony. One other passage of scripture, I said there would be only one, but there is one other. In the eighth chapter of the book of Song of Solomon, um, she is, uh, Shumleth is reflecting on her childhood. And in chapter eight and verse eight, uh, verse 8 is uh, her brothers. She has some brothers. If you were to go back and read chapter 1 and so forth, you know that, that she had some brothers. They uh, had leased a vineyard from Solomon. Shulamith worked in the, in the vineyard. Uh, it's believed that that may be where uh, Shulamith caught his eye. And uh, so her brothers have been taken care of. Evidently, the father is dead at this point. And the responsibility of taking care of little sister falls upon the shoulders of the brothers. And so in verse 8, it says, we had, have a little sister. Uh, she has no breast. Uh, that means that she's just a child. Her, uh, her physical form has not completely uh, matured. Uh, and and th then it says, what shall we do uh, for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? That is, how, what are we going to do in order to wait for the time that somebody desires to marry her and proposes to her and requests that she be married? To, the, to this person. And in verse nine, it says, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. And what he's saying is that she would build a wall around herself. In other words, she will preserve herself. She will remain a virgin until she is married and uh, will not allow anyone to, to, to have a sexual relationship with her at all. So in essence, she builds a wall around her. And then in verse nine, it goes on to say, but if she is a door, a door swings open and closes and sweeps, opens and closes, then we will barricade her. In other words, if she's, she's not willing to protect herself, we'll do it for her, just like big brothers are supposed to do, to protect their little sisters. So the whole idea in these verses is that she, she is a virgin until uh, she and Solomon are married. Now, Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs. Many of the Proverbs in that book were written by him, the wisest man who ever lived. Now I know he had a lot of concubines and wives and so forth. It doesn't mean necessarily that he may have had a sexual relationship with all those concubines and wives. Many of those were political arrangements. And also you'll remember in the book of Ecclesiastes and in other places that Solomon did all, not always remain faithful to, to this. And so uh, he realizes his mistakes and now he's writing to encourage younger individuals to protect themselves from making those kinds of mistakes. So go now to the book of Proverbs chapter seven. We're going to spend the rest of our time together, the Lord willing, in this chapter. Um, We'll look at the chapter in just a moment, but let me go ahead and begin with, the, with the, the start of the message. Here's a fact. Hardcore pornography has come out of the sewer and onto Main Street. Fact. Through the internet, the vilest forms of pornography are available to anyone. 
regardless of the age. Fact. Homosexuality is now seen as an acceptable alternative lifestyle. And I remind you again that the Supreme Court is now deliberating about uh, the decision on whether or not to redefine marriage. And they're supposed to come out in June with their announcement and their ruling about same-sex marriages. And we need to be in prayer for them. We need to pray that God would give them wisdom and the courage to maintain the basic, stable, enabling force and foundation of our society, and that's the home. And if they uh, say that uh, marriage can be redefined to, to include uh, a man and man and woman and woman or man and dog or whatever, uh, we're in trouble. We are. And uh, we need to pray for them that the right decision is made. Fact, most mainline denominations now openly have gay clergy. Gay preachers, ministers. Fact, we routinely watch things on television that 25 years ago would have caused us to blush. Fact, nothing much surprises us anymore. We've seen just about all of it. And it is so often that we have lost our ability to be shocked. Adultery, premarital sex, group sex, lesbianism, wife swapping, pornography in local convenience stores and magazines, X-rated movies on television, easy divorce, multiple marriages, quick abortions, incest, child abuse, abuse, bestiality, teen pregnancy, gay churches, born again for pornographers, pastors having affairs, racial sex, uh, radical sex education, sex change surgery, and the list goes on and on and on. The Bible has a great deal to say about sexual purity. In the book of Matthew chapter five and verse eight, the words of our Lord, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affecting the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by the Lord? You do not belong to yourself. For God brought you, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Purity then is not primarily about sex. Purity is not primarily about what you do or don't do. Purity is primarily about what you watch or what you say. Purity is about God, about God. Purity is the personal decision to glorify God with your body, with your soul, and with your spirit. So many times we talk about purity but we put it in terms of do's and don'ts. Can I go here? Should I read this book? 
Is it wrong to see this movie? Is this blouse too revealing? Should I listen to this kind of music? Those are legitimate questions, but they are secondary to the real issue. God has a stake in moral purity. He has called you and me to be pure, and he is greatly glorified when we walk in purity. So the question is not, do I want this, or would I enjoy this, or can I do this, or will this honor God? Will it honor God for me to read this book? Will God be glorified if I date this person? Does reading this book dishonor the Lord? Will I reflect badly on the Lord if I wear this dress? Purity is not about you or your desires. Purity is about doing what honors God. Purity means living so that God's reputation is enhanced by your personal choices. Oftentimes, um, as we get into chapter 7, he's talking about a young man who makes a very foolish decision in that he goes and chases after a prostitute and how unwise and foolish it is to do that. Sometimes when you are reading, especially in the Old Testament, uh, in the King James Version, for example, you'll come across the word strange woman. She is a strange woman. This is found in chapter 2. You're in Proverbs. Just turn back over to chapter 2 and verse 16. In chapter 2, verse 16, now I'm, I'm reading out of the uh, New American Standard. Yours may read just a little bit different. But in Proverbs 2 and verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. The term strange woman <laughs> doesn't mean that she's a weird looking person. The word strange there literally means basically someone who's not related to you. A foreigner, for example, if you were talking about a foreigner, you, you could have used the word in the King James as strange. Somebody who is not related to you. So he's not talking about your husband. He's not talking about your wife. He's talking about a person with whom you have no relationship at all. And therefore, she is a strange person to you. You're not married to her. Stay away from her. Don't touch her. Don't get involved with that kind of a person. So there are four basic things, and these are printed out for you on your outline today that will help you to keep up with the message as we work our way through it. There are four things in the seventh chapter of the book of Proverbs that Solomon uh, suggests to us and, and, and advises us when it comes to keeping ourselves spiritually, morally, and physically, sexually pure. And the first thing that he mentions in the first five verses is that sexual purity begins with the word of God. It begins with God's word. So notice what he says in verse one. Proverbs chapter seven and verse one. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, Keep my commandments and live and my teachings as the apple of your eye. Now, by the apple of the eye, it goes back to a long, long time ago when uh, they would look at the eye and the, and, and the pupil of the eye. It would be round. It would remind them of an apple. It, it's very valuable. So the pupil of your eyes, someone that you really focus your attention on. And so he is saying, listen to my words. Listen to my commandments. Listen to what I am teaching you. What is he talking about here? He's talking about paying attention to God's word. 
Listen to what God's word has to say. Listen to the commandments, but don't just listen. Obey them. Practice them. Hide them in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. The psalmist poses a similar question in Psalm 119 in verse 9 where the question is asked, how can a young man stay pure? The answer, by obeying God's word. So how do you stay pure? You get into God's word. Again, I know I sound like a broken record, but how many times, and you probably raised both hands in your feet counting how many times, I've said to you how important it is for you to read the Bible that you would study the Bible, that you would take verses of Scripture and memorize them. Hide them in your heart that you might not sin against God. It is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And if you will read God's Word and obey God's Word, it will help you to keep yourself clean and pure. Someone has suggested that uh, you, you, could, you could use the, the Psalms and the Proverbs as your daily devotionals and complete both of them in a month's time if every day you would read five chapters out of Psalms and one chapter out of Proverbs, Psalms will tell you how to get along with God. Proverbs, how to get along with your fellow man. So read five chapters out of Psalm every day, one chapter out of Proverbs, but don't, uh, don't neglect to do them. Remember what James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're just a hearer of the word, you're like the person who looks in the mirror every morning, sees his image, and, and, but then he goes away and forgets about what he saw in the mirror. So you're to take God's word, study it, look at it. You know, the Bible will talk about you. You can see yourself in the scriptures. And so he says it all begins with whether or not you get into the word of God and the word of God gets into you. When Jesus prayed for the welfare of his disciples, that he loved very much, he prayed this prayer to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify means to set aside or set apart. We Christians are not a part of the world. We walk to the beat of a different drummer. We swim upstream against the current Everybody else is going downstream and it's more difficult for us to swim upstream, but we are to be different in the world. We are not a part of this. We live in the world. We're to influence the world. We're to be the salt and the light of the world, but we're not to partake in the evil, sinful, sexual, immoral things that the world would have us to do. We live in a world that wants us to believe just the opposite. Our culture bombards us with words and images and advertisements and movies and televisions and pictures that, that say that sex before marriage is fun and, and fulfilling and freeing. It would be easy to get sucked into that lie. It is a lie to be overwhelmed by cultural onslaught if we are not people of the word of God. So it begins, young people, it begins teenagers, it begins young adults, it begins elderly people with our being in the word of God. Get into God's word. Read what it says. Hide it in your heart. Apply it. Practice it every day. So sexual purity begins with being a person of the word. The second thing that you'll notice beginning with verse 6 that sexual purity entails fleeing from tempting situations. Now we come to verse six and Solomon begins to describe this woman that is strange. We're not related to her and how she entices 
the young man to come to her. Look at verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerning among the youths a young man lacking sense. Now, it's not the first time he's used the term lacking sense. If you were to go back to chapter 6 and verse 32, again talks about the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. A man who has sexual relationships with an adulterer is a fool. That's what it says. He's a fool. And so he says, here's a young man. He's a fool. He's acting like a fool. He, he doesn't have any common sense. He doesn't realize what he's about to get himself into. He's going to get in a trap out of which he will never escape. Look at verse 8. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness, behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him. That is, she sees him, she grabs him. Oh, don't go away, come here. So she grabs him. She embraces him, kisses him, and with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. What is she saying of all things? In verse 14, she says, you don't have to worry about it. I'm a religious person. I've already been to the temple. I was supposed to pay uh, my uh, sacrifice to the gods. I've done that. <laughs> I've been to church. And so it's okay for us to do this. No, it's not. No, it's not. So she says, I, I, I was due the, the, to offer peace, and, peace offerings. I, I've paid my vows. Okay, so now I'm free to do what I want to. No. She says in verse 15, therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. I have found you. I've been looking for you. Oh, you handsome dude, you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and alloys and cinnamon. Boy, it's a good smelling place. She's used the best of the bedspreads and, 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 and decorations in her room. Verse 17, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our full of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. Now notice verse 19, my husband's not at home. Oh, okay. He's gone on a long journey. He's even taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. He's going to be gone a long time. We got plenty of time. You don't have to worry about anybody walking in on us. Verse 21. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does, not knowing that it will cost him his life. You better underscore that last statement. It will cost him his life. So Solomon is saying to us that we need to flee from tempting situations. This young man knew where he was going. He probably had already read about it in a book, Fifty Shades of Grey or some other book. He's looking for a sexual experience. 
he's so ignorant, he's so naive, so gullible, he, he doesn't realize what's about to happen to him. I read about a transport company placing a very important ad in the local newspaper that read, wanted conscientious and experienced truck drivers to transport dynamite across narrow mountain roads. The pay is very good. Three brave drivers interviewed for the job. The foreman asked each one of them this question. When you turn a corner on a tight mountain road, how close to the edge can you drive without slipping over the side? The first driver said, oh, I've had years of experience of that. I can get as close as a foot from the edge. The second driver says, well, I can hang the outside edge of my tire over the edge and still stay on the road. The third driver says, I respect the load and the danger. I would never get close enough to find out whether or not I could do that. Guess who got the job? Sex is like dynamite. It's dangerous. Some people think that they can play with it and not get hurt. Let's own up to it. There are certain things that we just cannot handle and we should know where the line of sexual impurity is and back away from it. There are certain films, certain videos, certain DVDs, certain pictures in magazines that you cannot handle and I cannot handle. There are certain television programs and late night channels that have, we have no business watching. There are certain websites that we should avoid. There are certain times we should not even be on the computer at night. And I think one of the worst things that you can do as a parent is to allow your child to have a television or a computer in their bedroom by themselves with the doors closed. You don't know what's going on. You don't. And you can call me old-fashioned and an old fogey and a fool myself. I don't care. I'm just saying that when you allow your child to have a computer and a television in their bedroom behind closed doors, you are inviting trouble into your home because you never know what they're going to watch. Oh, I can watch them when we go to bed, we turn everything off. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, we'll see, won't we? There are certain people who, by their stimulating conversations, awaken us. There are certain clothes that should not be worn, ladies, there are certain rooms that one should never be in with the opposite sex. You're opening yourself up and exposing yourself to temptations. There are settings too tempting, touches too personal, and liberties that are too much for us to handle. We are fools to play around with them. They create appealing temptations that we simply cannot control. Now, granted, we can't always avoid being exposed to these things. I, I mean, I, I told you before, I was watching television one evening and a commercial comes on and, and they're, they're using sex to, to, to sell a product. And, and this woman's very seductively uh, uh, clothed if she has much clothes on at all. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you can be innocent trying to watch something and be exposed to it. But remember the words of Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I cannot keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. So you can't always avoid certain situations. You, you're exposed to it before you realize it. And so uh, just, just when you allow it. In other words, let me put it this way. If you're on a diet, stay out of the donut shop. <laughs> when it comes to sexual temptation, the Bible is quite clear as to the appropriate strategy. One word. If you are exposed and tempted to do something sexually impure, 
run away from it. You remember what Joseph did? The reason why God blessed Joseph so, you read it in the book of Genesis chapter 39, was because he was so devoted and committed to the Lord and God, God smiled upon him and blessed him and gave him favor in Pharaoh's eyes. Uh, not Pharaoh, but the, the uh, shoulders, soldier, whatever his name was. Uh, anyway, he, uh, he entrusted to Joseph everything that he had. And uh, one day, uh, Joseph was in uh, the house and, and uh, he, the, the Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Come lie with me. Very attractive. You know, and it says of, of Joseph that he was a handsome young man. She was no doubt very beautiful, very attractive. And he, she tried to seduce him. Come, come to bed with me. My husband won't ever know it. Joseph's reply to her was, your, my master, your husband, has given me the privilege to have rights to everything he has except you. And I'm not going to sin against God and I'm not going to sin against him by lying with you. Well, she kept on after him. So he decided, well, best way just to get away from him. She reached out and grabbed his coat. So he got out of it. He just left his coat behind. He jumped out the window. Get away from her. And so, of course, when Potiphar came home, well, she began to tell, oh, I was, Joseph tried to rape me. He wanted to have sex with me and I resisted him and here's his coat. He, he ran away. I grabbed him and his coat and here it is showing proof. And of course, who's he going to believe? Joseph paid the penalty for it. He was innocent, but he had to go to prison, had to go to the dungeon. But God, you, you remain faithful to God. You may have to go through a difficult time, but God will lift you up. God will reward you for, you, for your being faithful in, in your sexual purity to him and to the ones that you love. Sexual immorality is not something that's to be debated. You don't, you don't see how close you can get to the line. You don't flirt with it. The best thing that you can do when you come across sexual temptation is a good pair of Nike tennis shoes. Run, 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 run. Get away from it. So sexual purity begins with being a person of the word. It continues in fleeing from tempting situations. The third thing is it strengthens by rehearsing the consequences. Look at verse 21. Until, well, verse 22 says, suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. You ever been to a slaughterhouse? I've never been to one literally. Well, it was one time, but that, you know, it, was, it had shut down. They were no longer doing it there, but I've seen, you know, things on television about it. It's not a pretty, pretty sight to see a, an animal slaughtered. You know, the steak you're going to eat for lunch, the chicken you're going to eat, Hamburger you're going to chew on. That all came because somebody slit their throats, shot them in the head with a pistol or a rifle, skinned them, slaughtered them, ground up their meat. It's not a pretty sight. Blood everywhere. And he says a man who goes to a prostitute or has an immoral relationship with somebody else other than his wife or her husband, if it's a woman, is like an ox going to the slaughter. Secondly, he says, are as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. The fetters is a reference to birds, birds being caught in a trap. You ever, you ever see a little bird caught in a trap, a net? How it just flaps its wings and screeches and hollers, wanting out, can't get out. He says, that's what it's going to be like for you. It's going to grab you and clench its fist around you and strangle you to death. Notice in verse uh, 
uh, 21, as an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so does the one not knowing that it will cost him his life. Cost him his life. So what will it cost you? Well, I've listed several things on you. Don't have time to dwell on them, but physically look at it. Physically, you know, if, if you get yourself involved with somebody as a prostitute or a woman of the world, or she, she may not be a person that you find out on the street corner. It just might be a, a high school teenage girl who's got the reputation. She's wild. You know, she has sex with this one, sex with that one. You ought to get on it too while you can. Or you're off on a business trip. Your wife's at home. You're over there all by yourself watching X-rated movies on TV in the motel room. Or, or you go down to the bar to get a drink and you meet a woman there. If you have a sexual relationship with such a person as that, you may contract a, a sexually transmitted disease like gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, AIDS, and perhaps not only infecting yourself, but your spouse as well because you're going to go back home. They're not going to know anything about what's happened. But if you have a sexually transmitted disease, you can pass it on to your wife or to your husband and it will cause them great physical pain. You can even cause a pregnancy. Teenage boys, girls, you, you have a sexual relationship without protection, you can get pregnant. It'd change your life. It'd change your family's life. It'd change that boy's life and his family's life. And it will be an embarrassment to the whole family. It'll cost you. It will. Physically, mentally, you will relive the experience in your mind over and over and over again what you did back there as a teenager or whatever. I'm sure if we had testimonies today, I could have some of you to stand up without embarrassment or shame and say, yes, I remember when I was a teenager, I had an affair, I did this, I did that, and it's been etched on my mind, and I think about it over and over and over again. You know, that's one way that your mind is not like a computer. In a computer, you can erase things, you can delete things, but in your mind, you can't. And what you did years ago, even though you may have forgiven, been forgiven of it, God forgive you of it, those that you offended forgiven of it, but it's still etched on your mind and it just takes one little thing to trigger it and it all comes right back. It'll bother you emotionally. Your mind keeps a permanent record of that and uh, it will add to your mental anguish. Emotionally, emotionally you will venture down a path that may lead to addiction. Psychiatrists and therapists who work with various addictions say that sexual addiction is more powerful than alcohol or drug addiction with a lower successful transformation rate. It affects you physically, mentally, emotionally, personally. You'll lose your self-respect. You may invoke shame and embarrassment upon yourself. You will create a form of guilt that is hard to shake. You will embarrass your family, her family, his family, and yourself as well. Professionally, professionally, you may lose your job. You may forfeit your status. You may waste years of training and experience because of having to change careers due to immorality. Relationally, you will destroy your example and your credibility with your family. What do you think? If you have a, 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 an immoral relationship with somebody, what kind of effect is it going to have on your children? Or, or your stepchildren or, or grandchildren or whomever it may be. They're going to say, well, uh, my dad did this, my mother did that, or my granddad did this, my grandmother did this. They, you know, you, you'll lose res the 
respect and the trust of your spouse and other family members. You will lose your spouse and your children forever. You'll cause shame and embarrassment. You know, it, I think we've gotten as a nation, we've passed the point of being able to be blush when, and embarrassed when we see something that we know is impure. We've seen it so much, we've just become immune to it. Spiritually, you will grieve the Lord who redeemed you. You'll drag his name in the mud. Do you see why Solomon uses the example of a slaughterhouse and a trap and a snare? Because it will destroy you. Let's look at number four. Sexual purity continues as we guard our minds. Look at beginning with verse 24. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Listen to what dad has to say. Listen to what mom has to say. Don't turn them off. Verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Do you know where sexual immorality really begins? Do you know why a person becomes sexually impure? It's hard. It starts in the heart. Now the eyes and the ears are the entrances to the heart, but it is out of the heart. It is out of the heart, Jesus said, comes these things. And so the eyes, the window that allows when you look upon something uh, that uh, is immoral, uh, it, it'll speak to your heart. Verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths for many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her stains. Her house is the way to Sheol. The word Sheol is the realm of the dead. Uh, descending to the chambers of death. It can kill you. It can kill you. It can kill your spirit. It can kill you in all of these ways. In Hebrew thought, the heart was the center and the seat of emotions. It controlled your behavior. The heart is like the controlling tower at an airport that directs the desires and thoughts, reasoning and intentions and the will of a person. The heart is like a switch house at the railroad track. Uh, only the trains that it's switching from one track to another is loaded with moods and ideas and emotions and convictions and puts them on the wrong track. Solomon elsewhere in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. Jesus said from the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immoralities. Jesus also said anyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So regardless of our outward behavior, the true test of sexual purity is our thought life. What we think about, what we think about, what we focus our attention on is what we become. I haven't been there, but I read about a large railroad switch car in St. Louis. One switch that begins with just the tiniest piece of steel can direct a whole train away from one main track onto another. And if you follow those tracks, you'll find that one end ends at San Francisco and the other one in New York. And it's all directed by one little tiny piece of steel. And you can look upon someone to lust after them or a movie or, or whatever magazine or internet or whatever it is. And that one little glimpse, that one little look can set you on a track that will lead you completely in the opposite direction of where you've been going and where God would have you to be. So Solomon says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of your life.
So they must be guarded, your eyes and your ears. Well, I come to my conclusion. The line must be drawn in the sand for sexual purity. The question is, will you draw the line? Have you drawn the line? Or are you going to say, I will respect my body. I will respect the gift of sex as being from the Lord. And I refuse to purposely, deliberately involve myself in any kind of relationship or expose myself to any kind of pornography or whatever it may be of sexual impurity. Uh, and I will reserve myself. I will keep myself as pure and as clean as I possibly can until God leads me to that person who is right for me. So at the right person, the right place, at the right time, in God's right way, enjoy what God has given me the privilege to do. Sex, when practiced in the, in the way that God has designed it between a married man to his married wife, the husband and the wife relationship is nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. It is a gift from God. There's nothing, I've said to you before, in the Song of Solomon of which we should be ashamed of or embarrassed about. Sex is a gift from God and is blessed by the Lord when practiced in the way that he has designed it. Let me give you two or three quick examples and I'll be through. Maybe. In the eighth chapter of John's gospel, there was a woman caught in the act of adultery. I've often wondered, where was the man? He's not in the picture. I think it was a setup for Jesus. I know it was. I believe, this. I believe it was a setup. They were trying to trick Jesus and to get him to say something and do something that they could find fault with. I think this woman and this man, it was arranged for them to have this sexual intercourse relationship. So they got the woman and they brought her to Jesus and said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. To have been caught in the very act of adultery meant the man was there too. They were probably still in the bed or couch or wherever they were, but they didn't get the man. They got the woman and they brought her to Jesus and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says she needs to be stoned to death. What do you say? Jesus stooped down in the sand and wrote something in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. Oh, maybe someday when I see Jesus, he'll tell me. I don't know. But whatever it was, he knelt down and he wrote something in the sand and he looked up. And all those guys that had caught and brought the woman to Jesus had disappeared. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. Jesus forgave her. Forgave her. He'll do the same for you. If you've, if you've been guilty in some way of being involved in sexual impurity, there's hope for you, folks. I know I may have been hard and come across hard and harsh in some of the things that I'm saying to you, but I'm trying to warn you. Don't be stupid. Don't be a fool. And if you have made mistakes, it can be forgiven. God can cleanse your heart, cleanse your life, and set you back on the right track. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of uh, David commit adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, Nathan the prophet came to him, pointed his little pointed finger at David and said, you're the guilty party. 
Boy, that finger pricked David's heart. God used it to bring conviction to his heart and David knew that he had sinned. Psalm 51 verses one through four, this is his prayer to the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your mercy, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He's asking for forgiveness. David was guilty of, of adultery. He was guilty of murder because he took Bathsheba's husband who was off at war, got him to come back so maybe he'd spend the night with her and, and get the responsibility of what had happened. He got her pregnant and he was the king. How embarrassing that would be. So get the husband back, let him spend the night with her and then we can say, well, he got her pregnant that night. But he refused to go in there. He said, how can I go in and enjoy uh, the marriage relationship with my wife and have, have intercourse with her and, and my buddies are over there dying on the battlefield? I can't do that. So he sleeps on the steps. And so David writes a message and gives it to the commanding general and sends the guy back and says, put him on the front line so when the arrows come, it'll kill him. David was as guilty of murder as if he had taken the bow and arrow himself and killed him. So David was guilty of adultery and he was guilty of murder and yet now in repentant spirit, he cries out, oh God, forgive me. Cleanse me, purify me, wash me clean. He had lost the joy of his salvation. Didn't lose his salvation, but he lost the joy of it. Hey, if you are a child of God and you get yourself involved in some kind of impure thing, it's going to kill you spiritually. It's going to dampen your spirit. You're not going to be as joyful as you used to be. And David said, oh God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then one final place, and I promise you I'll be through with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and beginning with verse 9. Somewhere in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. What's a fornicator? A fornicator is a person who involves him or herself in a sexual relationship. They're immoral. I'm not talking about married people. If a married person involves themselves in a, a sexual relationship with somebody other than their spouse, that's adultery. For you to just go out and, and, and have sex with anybody that comes along, that's fornicating. Couples who live together without the benefit of marriage are fornicating. That's what it is. I'm, I'm sorry. To, I don't intend to embarrass you or, or be cruel in any way. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You're fornicating if you have not been united with that person in a marriage relationship, whether it's a justice of the peace or preacher or whoever it is. And so he says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The word effeminate means homosexuals. Lesbians. That's what the word effeminate means. Nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this, verse 11. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All of these people that he mentioned committing these sins, he said, that's where you used to be, but God saved you. 
He set you apart. He brought you out of that lifestyle. He set you free from it. He's given you meaning and purpose, and he's given to you your purity. He's washed you clean and forgiven you. And so what I'm trying to say to you, that if you're here today and you have committed those kinds of things in your mind or in your heart, there's hope. There's hope. If you'll repent of it, ask God to forgive you, he will. He will. Draw the line. Make your commitment to God and yourself, your family, your friends, and your mate, and your children. And God will bless you. Let's bow together. Father, I, I know it's been a tough four Sundays for us to come and have to listen to this type of thing, but it is so necessary, so needed in our society and in our world. And, and God, I, I, I don't want my word to be blessed. I've just tried the best way with the help of the Holy Spirit to convey to your people the truth of your word regarding the, the true meaning of, of marriage and the purity of sex and the need for us to live that way. And I thank you and rejoice that, that you're such an understanding and patient and loving God that when we come to you admitting and confessing to you the sins of our evil ways that you're, you're, you're willing and do, you will by the shed blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us and purify us and set us free. And I pray, Father, that that is the message that our people will hear today, that you love them no matter what. And bless the time of invitation for whatever decisions need to be made. May it be to bring your honor and glory to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Andre is going to lead us. Let's stand please. And as we sing, you come if you have a decision to make.